The Seattle Seahawks won one of the wildest games of the year on Sunday, beating the Detroit Lions 48-45 and moving to 2-2 on the season. How much of what we saw is sustainable? Is Geno Smith earning starts beyond 2022? And how do you fix this defense? ESPN's Mina Kimes joins us to discuss all of that. Plus, look ahead to the showdown against the Saints. Let's light them up. I'm Jackson Bevins, and this is Cigar Thoughts. Welcome back to the Cigar Lounge. I am Jackson Bevins, and along with my tremendous producer, Mike Barwin, this is the Cigar Thoughts Podcast. Mike, how are we doing today? Doing great, doing great. Um, still a little frazzled. It's been a wild several days for Seattle sporting, but, you know, I'm hanging in oh there, Jackson. God. How are you? I just, I just got my voice back. From being at the Mariners game on Friday, I just <laughs> I sobered up. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, I I felt so bad doing the read of the article on Sunday because <laughs> my voice kept cracking like I was 13 years old. I've, uh, you know, I've been receiving some intel that the French have been coming for you. Oh my God! <laughs> you, yeah, you I'm hit uh, <laughs> you hit coup de grace with a nice couped grassy. <laughs> And so you have been uh, late, man. You've been receiving barbs left and right from the masses. But oh my god, yeah, yeah. Well, we can we can forget about that and keep this show moving, man. What the hell did we watch on Sunday? That was so damn fun. I mean, win or lose, what a welcome and delirious change of pace for Seahawks football. I was joking in our last episode with Joe Fan about you know the Seahawks have a great track record slowing down uh offenses quarterbacked by jared goff and (laughs) right aged like spoiled milk (laughs) not great oh man they won got the dub got a nice little pick six from Tariq woolen to um take the edge off of what was a disgusting defensive effort so eh, Mm -hmm. yeah take your uh take your wins where you can find them yeah absolutely and i can't wait to talk more about that game and what it means moving forward we're thrilled to be doing just that with one of the great minds and great people covering not just the NFL, but sports in general. She is one of the stars of NFL Live and Around the Horn, and she is kind enough to join us today. She is ESPN's Mina Kimes. Mina, welcome back. You left out the most important part of my bio, which is I am now in first place of our Dynasty League. Eight and no, baby! Oh my God, I, I saw that. I feel like that. it's going to be another championship that. season. I intentionally... I intentionally omitted that. Jackson, you're that's, getting attacked from all angles, man. Not, I would be the first person to repeat, right? If I win this year. Because you've never won, I think. Unless uh-huh, I'm missing uh-huh. something. Give it time. I actually <laughs> enjoy it while I, it lasts. That team is get that team is getting old. You know, Nina, you better cash in. With, uh, so, well, actually, you told me not to air your trade requests out loud, so I'm not going to. <laughs> um, I do have Tyler Lockett on the team, which has been delightful this year, as always. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, it has been about a year since you were last on the show, and obviously a ton has changed about the Seahawks in that time. Uh, your position within the industry gives you access to a lot of different perspectives about the NFL. I think we all kind of know what the national view of the Seahawks was at the beginning of the year, but do you think that's changed at all over the first month of the season? Yeah, I do. I, I, I actually do. I think um, you're starting to hear Geno Smith mentioned um, like on the national shows, people are praising him. I think that it's a little bit reluctant given, you know, the level of competition that he's dominated uh, thus far. But although I would say the Broncos defense and, you know, he had an incredible half against them, yeah. it looks pretty good. 
But um, I, I, he's starting to get credit. This offense is starting to get credit for looking not just good, but efficient. Um, so, and I think also the fact that like, you know, he had that first performance in prime time and then this latest one caught a lot of eyeballs just because it was so high scoring. The combination of those things is definitely uh, getting people excited about him. Yeah, well, let, let's talk about that win. Uh, Seattle's offense absolutely exploded in this one. Two and a 41 points, 555 yards. Of course, like Mike said, they got the interception return accounting for the other touchdown. And you mentioned it. I mean, as a result, they're generally top five and in some cases top three in just about every offensive efficiency metric. Uh, you know, anytime you get an outlier performance early in the season, it is going to skew the numbers a bit due to the small sample size. But what happened happened. <laughs> is this a good offense now? Well, I think it's not just that uh, Gino in particular, the whole offense ranks good in so many metrics. Um, but also, you know, the eye test and we watched, it, they look like a good offense. Um, it's such a, you and I have texted about this. Like, even in the first game, I was like, God, it's so uh, just enjoyable to watch an offense that doesn't go three and out so much. <laughs> like with, yeah. you know, the last couple of years, the Russell Wilson experience, you'd have these like incredible plays and magical drives, but you would have a lot of frustrating sacks and a lot of inefficiency. And just watching Geno Smith, you know, throw, I don't know, eight yard slants. It's just like, there's something very pleasing these crossers to tight ends over the middle of the field that seemingly always go for first down the seam balls like it's just like an easier watch like you don't have as many the fireworks might not be there all the time but there's something just calming about watching the offense right now and then the other thing I'll say about Gino and this is what really surprised me I thought he should be the quarterback definitely over Drew Locke um mm -hmm. and I thought you know he was underrated coming into this season but what's really stunned me is how he has managed pressure the blitz in this Lions game. Uh, that is something that I think he has he has struggled with. He struggled with last year in his limited starts for Seattle. And it seems like he has taken his game up another level because he's always had a good arm. And that really has impressed me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a lot of the conversation is going to surround Gino when we're talking about how good the Seahawks offense is. And we'll definitely talk about that. But honestly... I was really struck by how well Seattle ran the ball and how they didn't abandon the run. Yeah. Even as Detroit was just stacking score on top of score, Seattle kept handing the ball off in big moments and the run game kept delivering. I mean, not just Rashad Penny, who obviously had a huge game, but I thought it was really well blocked up front. The biggest thing for me is Seattle never felt in that game like they got away from the game plan. Whereas in the two good first halves that they've had this season against Denver and Atlanta, it felt like once the defense adjusted, they were kind of lost. Like once those first scripted plays were done, they didn't have an answer. That was not the case on Sunday. They really ran the ball well. And the, you, you alluded to the run blocking. I, I mean, we should also talk about like this offensive line looks as good as it's looked in a minute, which is forget about Gino being shocking, rolling out a pair of rookie tackles who I was excited about when they drafted them based on, you know, the things that people who are smart about offensive line play told me like, you know, Jeff Schwartz told me he really <laughs> liked the picks and um, Brandon Thorne, who's a great follow on that stuff was excited about cross, but to actually see it in real life, um, it's pretty impressive. And I think if there's anything to take away from this season of Seahawks football, the fact that they appear to have hit on a pair of tackles is incredibly encouraging you can't overstate how important that is. If you have two long-term starting tackles that you can build around on rookie contracts for the yeah. next three years, that's enormous in terms of the viability it gives you with, with the rest of the roster. 
Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. And I think Gino certainly makes their life easier than Russell Wilson would have. Um, just at, you know, getting rid of the football a little bit quicker and giving them an easier pocket to manage. Um, but yeah, I, I, I guess in some ways, though, like we shouldn't have been totally surprised. The Seahawks have two ex- an extremely good one-two punch at receiver. They have good tight ends that were underutilized in recent years. This was always like a good group of skill players. We knew that Rashad Penny was incredible at the end of last season. Kenneth Walker has been, you know, limited in his usage was, you know, regardless of how you feel about the draft pick, a great college running back. Like all of the players around Geno Smith were good. And then to top it all off, and this kind of alludes to what you were talking about, ties to what you were talking about, the, the game script, Shane Waldron's offense, we knew what he wanted the offense to look like. We've watched the Los Angeles Rams. It was obvious it did not make sense for Russell Wilson. But going into the season, like, yeah, of course it works. Of course, but it's not surprising that Geno Smith is executing a well. Yeah, one of the things that, you know, we've said on this show a fair amount is no matter who your offensive coordinator is, if Russell Wilson's your quarterback, you're running the Russell Wilson offense. Yeah. And now we're actually getting to see Shane Waldron breathe a little bit and when Shane Waldron breathes Shane Waldron flexes and I mean they had 235 yards rushing in that game at almost seven yards a clip and they got two explosive plays in the I mean they had more than two explosive plays in that game on the ground but the two long touchdowns um, that really helped seal the deal came on the ground and one of them was when the defense knew they were running and I I think that's what Pete Carroll loves to see more than anything else. And, and, you know, you brought up the offensive line. Um, the tackles are getting a lot of love. I thought the interior line blocked really, really well as well. I mean, you, you can't luck your way into 555 yards of offense. And that includes zero sacks. Yeah. And like, you know, this Lions offense defense sucks, but put up more yards on them than the Vikings did and some other teams. Like it's not, you know, at the ultimate day, you, play the team in front of you. And um, like a great example, like, you know, Jeff Okuda had been having an incredible start to the season. I thought Mm -hmm. the performance he put up against Justin Jefferson in man coverage was really impressive. DK Metcalf destroyed him in this game. Like, you know, again, competition matters, but you can also compare how they fared against other offenses around the league as you try to evaluate um, where we stack in the grand scheme of things. Did you see what DK said before the game when he was asked about being shadowed by Jeff Akuda? No. They're they're reading off how he had shut down Devonta Smith and uh, uh, Justin Jefferson. And I'm trying to remember who they played in the in the other game, but um, anyway, anyhow. Uh, so they were talking about that and asked him about it. And DK goes, "Yeah, I watched his film. He's getting a lot of help from the safety. Good cornerback, though." <laughs> that, was, that was definitely true in the Minnesota game. <laughs> You're and, right. And, and I mean, you say something like that against the guy who's playing like an all pro. And I mean, wide receiver and cornerback are two of the most alpha mentality positions in all of sports to go out and deliver the way that he did and to beat him so soundly is just a reminder that regardless of who's at quarterback, DK Metcalf is on the verge of becoming an elite wide receiver in this league. Well, and I think this, as crazy as it sounds to say, given what an incredible deep ball thrower Russell Wilson is. Geno Smith's style of football might help his career more because um, DK Metcalf has been, you know, there were so many games you remember in the last two years where he would kind of just disappear as defense took away the deep ball, the 
infamous too high pivot against Seattle. Um, and, and Wilson would either be unwilling or sometimes even inaccurate on the short stuff. The fact that Gino is willing to hit him on the little hitches and slants and what and little even out routes and whatnot, it sets him up so much over the course of the game um, that it really makes it a lot easier for him to produce. Well, yeah, and, and DK is earning those targets in the short and intermediate uh, ranges of the field in a way that he hasn't before. You know, the thing that really stood out to me in that game, and I've been seeing shades of it all season, is the little stuff he's doing. I, I wrote about it in the article how, you know, obviously the talent is there for him to be great, but the refinement hasn't. And we're starting to see the things like sharper footwork on those shorter routes. And then on one of his deep catches, he got inside release on Akuda, and the throw came in a little behind him and a little low. And Metcalf didn't stop running until the very last step and never flashed his hands until the ball was there. So the corner is looking at two keys in that situation to know when to turn his head around. He's looking at when the footsteps start chopping, and he's looking for when the hands flash. And DK did neither of those things until the ball was right there. And when I saw that, I, I almost felt like he's ready. Like he is ready to become a really top tier wide receiver. And when, when that happens, I almost feel like there's no limit for this offense, which is a crazy thing to say, given what our expectations were coming in. I think that if, if I had to pump the brakes a little bit, it would be thinking back to the Niners game yep. against an elite pass rush is where this offense can get into trouble because as much as I think Gino has handled the blitz brilliantly this year, this especially against Detroit, my God. Um, and he, he looks better under pressure. Um, there, when he's facing a, a group like that, a four man rush that with that ability, um, you do see him sometimes taking unnecessary sacks, he, you know, sort of, his pocket presence can crumble a little bit. And then I would say that's where the rookie tackles as, as good as they've been can run into some trouble. Yeah. And, and that was one of the things that I wanted to talk about today as well. So I'm glad you brought it up. I mean, this is still an offense that was shut out by the 49ers yeah. um, that only had three offensive points and three second halves coming into the game on Sunday. By no means are they a finished product or, and I'm not ready to call them an elite offense overall, I just think they're so far ahead of what I was expecting to see this early in the season that it's really encouraging. And to your point about the 49ers, I mean, they just shut down the Rams too. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, they completely shut. They, they probably didn't the Rams have NFL. one explosive play all game. Is I think they said the first time in 16 years that's happened, something like that. Crazy. So, I mean, the I think the Niners are a bit of an outlier, but, but you're right. I mean, we saw Denver has very good pass rush and they started to get home in the second half as well. So, um, definitely things to work on there, but to see them keep the pedal down all game long was amazing. And, and we've been dancing around it, but I, I want to dive into exactly what Geno Smith has been this year. We, we tweeted this out before the show, but Geno's number one in the NFL in completion percentage. He's 10th in overall passing yards, fourth in yards per attempt, fifth in QBR and third in passer rating. How realistic is it? in your mind, that Gino is the starting quarterback on week one of the 2023 season. I'll add one more. He's also first in completion percentage over expectation. So he is not just executing this offense. He is elevating it, which, I mean, he had to score on every single one of those damn drives against Detroit. Yeah, he That's did. a lot of pressure. Um, yeah. But uh, I think it it's tricky, right? Because 
the thought going into the season was, okay, it's rebuilding. Let's see what we got in some of these young players. We're obviously going to draft a quarterback next year. Seattle has, you know, multiple, a lot of draft picks to work with. We'll see where the Denver pick and where Seattle's own first rounder ends up. It's a good quarterback class. You know, there's a few good names. That said, part of the reason I would, I am, this is very early to say this, obviously, but I think that Geno's play has introduced a little bit of, um, I would say hesitation on my part when it comes to moving on and drafting a quarterback is one, if he, if he, if he continues this level of play through the rest of the year, I think you keep him no brainer personally. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You, you know, he's on a, I believe a one year, like $1.2 million contracts. You're, he's probably going to make, I wouldn't say like incredible starting quarterback money, but at that lower end or kind of mid range, which God, I hope he does because he's yeah. really, you know, he, he will have earned it. Um, but the other thing is, the rest of this team clearly needs so much work. And in particular, the defense, which I think we're going to talk about, there's so many holes and there's so, they just need so much talent. And the thought of like taking a young quarterback and putting them in this team, I mean, the offense could still be good for the reasons we just described, but honestly, would they be better? I'm not so sure. And there's something very alluring in, in a draft where so many people do want that young quarterback about taking those picks and saying, hey, let's get one of the best edge rushers in this draft. And maybe we'll get, you know, a, a corner or something. We can, we talk about all the needs um, and not reach for a quarterback unless, unless, you know, his play falls off or they're in a position to get CJ Stroud, maybe. Although I think that's going to be, that could be pretty challenging. Um, I just, it, it just, to me, like what's changed is like, there's no longer the need to reach for a quarterback at this point. Right. Yeah. Well, let's stay with that hypothetical for a minute, Let, let's say that he plays. I mean, I don't necessarily expect him to be a top five quarterback the rest yeah. of the way. There's too many excellent quarterbacks in this league, but if he's top 16, I think that's very realistic at this point. Yeah. And it gives you a couple of options. One, like you said, you can use this tremendous draft capital that you have next year and all the free agent money that they're going to have to spend to address the rest of the roster and buy yourself a year. I don't think this team is one year away from competing for a Super Bowl. I, I do think it's at least two years of doing all the right things. The other thing is keeping Gino around does not preclude you from going and getting your next quarterback. It's not the worst thing in the world to bring in a rookie quarterback yeah. and have him sit behind a quarterback that knows how to run this offense really, really well for half a year or maybe even a full year, depending on how things go. And then you bring him in. I mean, the Patrick Mahomes approach, right? Like Alex Smith was doing a lot of what Geno Smith is doing right now. He he was being really efficient, but not spectacular and gave Mahomes a chance to really, really soak in the offense that he was learning, Andy Reid's offense. So I, <laughs> the thought yeah. of Geno being here in 2023, I, I've been very adamant in saying i didn't want that to be the case, but I wasn't expecting this either. And I'm, I'm totally willing to pivot if it continues. And it changes the kind of quarterback you can bring in. Like the situation you describe, if you draft a quarterback like CJ Stroud, doesn't make sense in my mind. You start CJ Stroud, but perhaps there are more developmental options. I don't know. I think about the, the kid in Kansas who's lighting it up right now, mm-hmm. who's younger on the younger side, but has a lot of um, flashes. You probably wouldn't need to spend your first round draft. Well, I'm mean, against a very long college football season. Um, but yeah, like the situation you're describing, like it kind of introduces a whole new range of possibilities in terms of the type of prospect they go after. And I think that's pretty exciting. Oh, it, it absolutely is. But 
unfortunately, the Seahawks <laughs> don't just get to play offense. <laughs> they kind of do. <laughs> <laughs> they <laughs> they, they, they kind of <laughs> do. Uh, I mean, for every stat out there that's just lauding the offensive performance, there's one equally maligning the defense. Mina, what on earth is going on on that side of the ball? Not a lot. Uh, I mean, where to begin? I, it, it's it's almost like um, harder to identify the things that they're doing well than the things that are going wrong. So maybe, or it's it's a shorter list. So maybe I'll start by saying the things that are not bad on this defense. Um, I think Uchenna Nwosu has been a good addition as a pass rusher. Unfortunately, it's just Uchenna Nwosu at this point. I mean, really not getting pass rush anywhere else. Um, I've been really disappointed by, well, you know what I would say actually, well, Shelby Harris has been good in run defense for them, but... Um, yeah, I mean, as a Puna Ford lover, I got to say, it's been a little bit of a down season. Uh, the linebacker play has not been great behind them. Um, I think uh, Quandra Dix is doing his best back there, man, but, like, he's running around like a fireman, just, like, it's the – I think something – the Jamal Adams trade was so disappointing that people forgot that Jamal Adams is actually a good football player. Is And right. holy smokes, this season is a great – exhibit and the value that he actually provided to the defense because outside of Diggs, the safety play has been very, very bad. Um yeah, and they're I mean they're just throwing guys yeah. out there. I mean Josh Jones is that oh, is out God. there and he Ooh, <laughs> I, mean, I forgot his name. Yeah. He clearly is has no business it's rough. being out there, you know? And 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 what you're saying about Jamal Adams, okay, did they overpay for him? I think it's looking pretty clear that yes they did. Should they have paid Bobby Wagner $20 million to stick around during a rebuilding season? No, probably not. But it's a reminder of how valuable guys like that are because Bobby Wagner may have lost a step, but he was never out of position. His ability to diagnose and plays and to captain that defense allowed a lot of freedom um, from everybody else. I really like Jordan Brooks. You know how much I like Jordan Brooks. He is not Bobby Wagner. Bobby Wagner was where, and same thing with KJ Wright, they were where they needed to be when they needed to be there, even if they weren't as quick as they were when they first got into the league. And it's just a healthy reminder to all of us that it's more than just athleticism yeah. to be a really good NFL defender. Especially when it comes to limiting those explosives. Like, yeah. we're not even talking about, you know, like three or, oh, did Aaron Aaron Judge just hit 62? Our hey, long national is nightmare awesome. is over. <laughs> I'm surprised <laughs> yeah, ESPN didn't cut into this podcast right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, they have control over all my devices. Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, because we're not just talking about like the short stuff or like, you know, little five or six yard. We're talking about guys taking bad angles and mixing tackles leading to 12, 13, 14 yard runs, um, yards after the catch. It's just, it's really, really tough. I think the upside case for this defense is like you need Boya Mafe to take a step because Daryl Taylor took a really big step back, unfortunately. Um, and then I would say the cornerback room is where you see at least some potential. You alluded to Tariq Roland making that cool play. I think he's had – it's been up and down. Obviously, he's very inexperienced, but there's at least flashes of potential there. Cindy Jones getting back on track, getting healthy, getting Artie Burns back at some point. And then Trey Brown, who I thought looked pretty nice last year at cornerback – eventually coming back. So at least like safety, I really don't know what the hell they're going to do, but at least at corner, there's like some players that could improve what we've seen thus far. Yeah. I mean, we knew that it was going to be fits and starts 
this year. It's just been all fits so far, <laughs> unfortunately. Uh, but I mean, to your point about Tariq Woolen, I think we're seeing enough there to see that this guy's got the potential to be a legitimate starting corner in the NFL. Is he going to be Patrick Sertan? No, not likely. But can he be really good? Is he good enough that you can say, okay, we've got that position settled now? Yeah, I think he probably is. He's certainly showing enough upside uh, where that's a very realistic possibility. I think Kobe Bryant is flashing a lot on the other side too. He's got to be a little bit less grabby when his hands are, or when his feet are out of position. Uh, he tends to just rely on his hands a little bit too much, but that's a lot of young corners that can get coached up. Um, but yeah, other than that, the pass rush outside of Nwosu has been non-existent. I do think the interior line has played well. Al Woods oh, yeah. uh, has been really good up the middle. Um, you know, and that helps. It really does help. But it's like, even when the defense knows that the other team is going to be passing, they look not ready for it. And that part is really tough to see because Seattle's not going to score 48 points every game. Yeah. One thing that um, I was looking at for something else that caught my eye is so Seattle, the defense does not blitz very much um, for, I mean, a litany of reasons. But when they do blitz, they actually get the second most pressure in the NFL of any team. Um, so I do wonder if, you know, some of that has to do with, I think, the fact that they've been pretty well-timed and the execution has been good. But I do wonder if, like, um, they, and they've gotten punished for a couple times. Maybe there's something there, though, uh, in terms of just playing a little bit more, to use a Mariner's term, chaos ball, to at least try to make some negative plays because you're just not that good. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I'm glad you mentioned that because I do think that's really important. I think that when you aren't as talented as the guys on the other side of the ball, which Seattle just isn't going to be in most games, then you do need to do things to increase the variance. You know, Seattle hasn't blitzed a lot ever under Pete Carroll, but for the first five, six years of that, they didn't need to because they were so much more talented on that side of the ball. They could do a lot more of what 49ers and the Bills are doing this year, Eagles too, which is just rely on that pressure up front and dominate on the back end because there's less to think about. Um, they're just not in a position to do that right now. So uh, I like that we've seen a little bit of some corner blitzing. We're seeing some stunting stuff that never was really there with Ken Norton Jr. So I, I hope we see more of that. But you're right. They need to make it more chaotic. And if it means giving up quick scores, <laughs> we so already do that. <laughs> I'll take that over. Yeah, I'll take that over the 13, 14 play drives that eat up most of a quarter. Yeah. Get and, Gino back and on the, the field. Yeah, freeze on the sideline. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, they're going to have a, a chance to kind of remedy things this week against the Saints. Uh, let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah. What, based on what you've seen so far this year, both from the Seahawks and New Orleans, what are your expectations on Sunday? Yeah, it's funny because I actually rewatched Geno Saints game ahead of the season, one of his three games, and it was kind of the, it was tough. It was definitely not his best performance. Well, that was clearly the Jaguars, but um, the pressure really affected him in that one. And so the Saints defense, like basically the the Saints this year are just a lesser version of who they've been. I mean, the roster attrition is very visible. They still have stars at every level. Um, and every now and then, like Cam Jordan will put together like an amazing old man game. Obviously, they got Marcus Davenport up front, Mario Davis, Marshall Lattimore still extremely good. But um, I don't think they're as talented as they were on defense. And it does show up. The pass rushes are like not quite as good. Uh, the rest of the defense, they're like not at, like not having Marcus Williams definitely hurts. 
um, when they're in man coverage. So I think that it's a long, very long-winded of saying, winded way of saying this is an easier defense that Geno Smith is facing from the one that he did last year, as well as now I think this offense and everything is you know very optimized around him. Now, this side of the ball, we don't know if James Winston or Andy Dalton will be playing yet. Um, I have watched both quarterbacks, and thus far, Andy Dalton is play- played better in London than Jameis Winston has played this season on the whole. Jameis Winston was also hurt playing through like some kind of crazy back fracture. Um, and That's it showed just a broken like, back, no biggie. Yeah, casual. Um, you know, he made a lot of mistakes, but he also looked tentative at times. And then he would put together like these like vintage drives with explosive throws, but um, very up and down. Part of me thinks that would be better for Seattle than facing Andy Dalton because Andy Dalton is exactly like the back of type of type pardon me, type of backup quarterback who tortures Seattle with just like an efficient game, right? Just just Colt McCoying us to death. Honestly, and to our point about chaos ball, at least with Jameis, you like might get some turnovers out of it. So mm-hmm. if I'm Seattle, that would be my preference. Um, as crazy as that sounds. But, um, you know, because, uh, man, these Saints skill players, we'll see who plays, but like Chris Olave is going to give Seattle problems. I'll tell you that right now. Um, so, yeah, it's it's... It's a, it's a tricky group. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned they played in London last week and it's always hard to glean too much from that because you just see some, some teams just absolutely don't show up for that game based on travel or whatever. Um, but I thought they played really well against a better Vikings team. They did it without Alvin Kamara, Jameis Winston, and Michael Thomas. I do think this team is still pretty good. And if all three of those guys are back this week, I think it's a tall order. Seattle is currently a five and a half point underdog. Does five that seem about right to you? Is it in Seattle? It's in New Orleans. Oh. Mm. I'd just like to say Gino's leading or near the top of the NFL in all these categories, and we haven't seen him in a dome yet. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> dome Fair Gino. Enough. Gino's also um I saw he's rising up the odds for a comeback player of the year, which begs the question. What is comeback player of the year? Like, I thought it was coming back from an injury, but then you see players in there who just, it's like you're coming back from being bad or like disrespected. <laughs> I don't really understand the rubric for that. Like, um, Alan Robinson was a favorite this year. I'm like, Alan Robinson wasn't hurt last year. He was just bad. I don't really get it. Yeah. I, hope yeah, I don't wins. think he's going to win it this year. DNP Chicago Bears. <laughs> Yikes. Um, <laughs> five and a half. Uh, I think that actually probably is about right. Honestly, just it's still a pretty good defense. Like they're not as good, but they're still pretty good. Um, and I think like I, I'm guessing Vegas just wants to see Gino put together a complete game against a good defense. Um, I'm not saying he can't. I I would pick Seattle to cover that, but uh, but I get it. That's that's how I feel too. I was I was surprised it wasn't more like three or three and a half. Um, so I'll I'll probably bet Seattle to cover that. But I do think. The Saints should be favored in this game. And, you know, if Seattle is going to win, I think they're going to have to do it with stops. I Against the Saints defense, they're not just going to be able to no. score three, four, five possessions in a row. They're going to have to hold the Saints to 24 or less, I think, to have a shot. God, and I really, along those lines of, like, needing to steal some possessions, really need Pete Carroll to make better decisions. <laughs> Oh my gosh. <laughs> no yeah. more bad challenges. And also oh. like he should be this football team. Sh- I mean, he actually did has shown a little bit of aggression this year, but this is a team where aggression is paramount because your defense ain't stopping him. 
Um, yep. And yeah. And just yeah. have a plan. Like if it's third and three on the opponent's 40, know what you're going to do on fourth down ahead of time, right? Like Jeez. whether it's punt, whether it's go for it, whether it's try a long field goal, just know ahead of time. So you're not scrambling around trying to make an emotional decision in the moment. Uh, I think we're all kind of on board with that. Uh, I, you know, before we let you get out of here, I do want to get your thoughts on one more thing. Uh, when you look at everything that we've seen so far this year, what your expectations were coming into the season, now they're two and two. They're actually tied for first with everybody else in the NFC West. It's clean slate moving <laughs> forward. Crazy. Do you still see this as a rebuilding team or is there a world where they find themselves competing for a playoff spot in December? Um, hmm. It's a tough question because defense has been so bad mm-hmm. i think it has to get better as the season goes, it has right? to get better i also Those think famous um, last words the nfc west <laughs> is <laughs> not as strong as i think we would have thought coming into this season um and then the nfc period the landscape of the nfc like we're playing against the saints and we're talking about how seattle might win people thought the saints were like a shoe in for a wild card spot coming into the season so i think that in the expanded playoffs um, it's not outside their own possibility that Seattle could be in the mix. And I'll say that as a, like a fan, great. I mean, you know, as much as I would love a high draft pick, as much as I would love CJ Stroud, you never know how things shake out when it comes to the draft, which is why tanking the NFL is basically impossible. And I will always root for a watchable team. And right now this team is watchable as hell. I think like I wasn't supposed to watch that Lions game. I had like, it was like, cause I knew we weren't going to talk about it, you know? So for me, I guess a little peek into my schedule on Sundays, I'm watching the games that I know I have to talk about on Mondays. Um, and sometimes that means now missing Seahawks games or catching up on them later. But I had it on in my like little quad box and I just could not look away <laughs> every time Seattle was on offense. I was like little Russell Westbrook with the popcorn. You know, I just like couldn't stop watching this game because it's fun yeah. to watch. It's fun to watch an offense that can move the ball efficiently. It's fun to watch a good passing attack and a dominant run game. So I will take nine and eight or whatever the hell happens if if that's what happens over a very high draft pick yeah yeah here's the thing winning is just better and we've (laughs) talked about it a lot on the show losing is hard on a team and it's hard on a young team having this team leave this season even if it's worth you know with worse draft picks leaving with more wins under their belt i think does more for them than picking a few spots earlier especially because we didn't even talk about this they have so much money and so much money. They can use that oh money God, to get so much money. very cool free agents this year. And I think, you know, right now, like there's definitely some, again, this is so premature, whatever, but like you, you know, I think guys might want to play with Geno's. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I could see it. Do you think guys want to play with Geno Smith more than Russell Wilson? <laughs> Are you going to ask that? <laughs> Maybe. Well, let's talk about that because, Mina, you said that you like watching good offenses, great passing attacks, effective running games. You must hate watching the Denver Broncos, huh? Yeah, it's brutal. I have, And we do talk about them a lot, so I've watched every Denver game pretty closely. Um, it looks like the bad Seahawks games of the last two years is just simply the best way to characterize it. It's Cortland Sutton playing the role of DK Metcalf. Um Losing Javante Williams sucks, by the way. It's horrible for them. Yeah, yeah that, does. I, that, I, that just sucks. It's for awful. Um, yeah, I think what's really shocked me about Wilson's play, I, I know, as you said, like a lot of it looks similar, but he has been way more inaccurate on the short stuff than he was in Seattle the last two years, and I don't know why. 
that's the most puzzling thing because the mobility, the sex, the pressing, that's the stuff we know, but that feels different. Yeah, totally. I personally, I think Russell Wilson and the Broncos will probably be fine. I thought there was a world where they could really compete uh, with some of the better teams in the AFC. I don't think that's going to happen this year, but I, I do think that they'll be fine. Uh, Mina, we appreciate that you are one of the busiest and hardest working people in your profession, so we will let you get back to it. Thank you so much for coming on today. I know most folks out there are familiar with your work online and on TV, but why don't you remind us where we can get more of you? Yeah, so uh, my podcast, Mina Kime Show featuring Lenny, comes out twice a week now on Tuesdays with Dominique Foxworth. We did talk about Geno Smith. Actually, we do it. We do a segment called Winners and Woofs, and Dominique's winner was Pete Carroll for winning the, the breakup. Which is kind of funny because it's like at what cost? Pete Carroll won the breakup, but he has a horrible defense. It's like a Pyrrhic victory, I think they call it. But um, and then yeah, we come out on Thursdays as well to preview the weekend. So check it out wherever you get pods. Yeah, definitely make sure you do. It's in my rotation. Make sure you subscribe to that. One of the best podcasts going. This has been a lot of fun. Huge thank you to Mina for her time and her insight. Perhaps the coolest thing about doing this show is the front row opportunity to become a smarter fan. There is no question that that happened today. As for us, you can find us on social media as well. I am on Twitter at at Jackson Bevins. That's J-A-C-S-O-N. Remember that no K is okay in spelling Jackson. <laughs> Mike is at at Mike Barwin. And the show itself is at Cigar Thoughts. You can also find us on Instagram at at Cigar Thoughts NFL. And on Facebook at Seahawks Cigar Thoughts. Of course, you can listen to this show and read every article at fieldgoals.com slash cigar thoughts. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts and like the show, drop us a five-star rating and leave us a quick review. Y'all have been incredible with your support of this show over the first year. And it makes us smile every time we see that love on social media or in the reviews y'all have left us. We've now got over 95-star ratings, which is wild. And your feedback has helped get the show in front of more and more people every week. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, onwards and upwards, my friends. Mm -hmm.